As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I'm Joe Levy, and you're listening to Final Sessions, Harry Nilsson's Lost and Found. Harry Nilsson was one of the great singers and songwriters of the 60s and 70s. The guy the Beatles once called their favorite group. And this is the story of how the music that Harry Nilsson was making over the last decade of his life, some of it no one has ever heard before or even knew existed, went missing for a quarter of a century, only to become an album called Lost and Found. It's not a simple story of old tapes discovered and dusted off. Over the next four episodes, we'll be delving into something more complicated, more demanding, more full of love and loss. This is episode one, Rescuing the Rescue Boy. On January 13th, 1994, the weather in Los Angeles was pretty much the same as always, which is to say, pretty much perfect. High of 78, the sky, a cloudless Dodger blue. On this perfect day, Harry Nilsson was north of the Hollywood Hills, and he was fooling around with an old song by Tommy Tucker, High Heel Sneakers, that had been a top 20 hit on Chess Records in 1964, when the Beatles were conquering America, and Harry was still working the night shift at the computer center of a bank and writing songs in the wee small hours of the morning. But here's Harry, 30 years later, banging out high heel sneakers on a synth that was switched to a weird percussion setting. He was accompanied by his friend and producer, Mark Hudson. And we were somewhere in the valley, not even a studio, some guy's house. And he has a cigarette hanging from his mouth. And just for fun, he went, but oh, ah, and he's singing it with that great voice and just amazing. I'm playing acoustic guitar, harmonica, whatever it was we were doing. And we stop and we have a moment of a conversation. And, and he started talking about the record industry. He goes, you know, Marky, I'm not sure there's any room for guys like us anymore. I went, Harry, that's bullshit. There's always going to be room for a great song. It's all we've got. And we're talking about this. And he goes, I don't know what the industry is anymore. He goes, I don't know about the songwriter. I think the songwriter is dead. He goes, that's it. I'm inventing a superhero. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, we need a character for songwriters everywhere so we don't get forgotten, so we're not lost. I went, wow. And he goes, that's it. Rescue boy. I went, rescue boy. He goes, yeah. Tommy Tucker's song is an invitation to a woman to put on her high heel sneakers, her red dress, and her wig hat for a night out. And maybe bring along her boxing gloves in case some fool might want to fight. Harry turned it into something else, a call out to rescue boy to get in costume and save the day. And if that didn't work, well, you just had to learn to help yourself. 
And that was him going, I got it. And he goes, yeah, so here I am, this overweight superhero with goggles. And I hate to say, I saw a vision of Harry in that outfit, which would have been frightening just to see his little everything dressed like a superhero. And then he, on a piece of paper, I still have that piece of paper somewhere too. I got my rescue boy hat, my rescue boy tights. And then he goes, my rescue boy fountain pen in case some fool might want me to write. Like some guy from a record label going, we're looking for a new song. You think you could pen one for me, buddy? And I went, wow, that's great. And then it hit home, and then all of a sudden it just came out. He goes, there's youth everywhere. There's youth in Japan. There's youth in Russia. There's youth in the USA. He goes, there's a band from New Zealand who goes to Seattle to get some Nirvana. And he goes, Lord have mercy, you got no clothes on. Which was like the emperor's clothes. So he's virtually saying, it's about, you're all full of crap because if you don't have a song, you got nothing. Now long ago, far away, Harry had been the songwriting superhero. His songs were recorded by old-school icons like Ella Fitzgerald and Wayne Newton and pop hitmakers like The Monkees and Three Dog Night. His own recordings were on movie soundtracks. One was a theme for a TV sitcom. He could write songs to order. Once, when he was in London in 1968, he got a call from Paul McCartney, who was looking for a song for Mary Hopkins' debut album, which he was producing for the Beatles label, Apple. So there was a piano in Harry's hotel room. And he sat down that night and wrote The Puppy Song, one of the many Nilsson songs that wraps unresolved childhood longing in a melody that seems to solve all the world's problems. The next day, McCartney called him, told Harry it was perfect, and asked if he and Linda could drop by that night to hang out. When they did, Paul played Harry some new songs, including one called Blackbird. Rescue Boy had a lot of adventures like that, but by 1994, he'd been missing in action for a long, long while. Harry hadn't put out an album since 1980. He'd had financial setbacks, not of his doing, but big ones. Health problems, big ones. So Harry was calling to his muse once again, looking for that songwriting superhero to set things right before it was too late. Once, he wrote songs in an office, sitting at his good old desk in RCA. Now, he's ready to go back to work, back to the office. I'm going down to see Rescue Boy, he sang, one more time before he dies. Two days later, Harry Nilsson was dead from a heart attack. He was 52 years old. For 25 years, the music that Harry Nilsson was working on at the time of his death has gone unheard. Until now. Final Sessions will take you inside the creation of this music, how it was originally recorded, and how it was completed decades later. This was a labor of love. It required many of Nilsson's old friends, drummer Jim Keltner, arranger Van Dyke Park, songwriter Jimmy Webb, as well as his son, bassist Kefo Nilsson, who was just eight years old when his dad passed away, 
to come in and record new music around vocals that had been painstakingly isolated from all sorts of places. Recordings made in studios, at Harry Nilsson's home, at some guy's house in the valley. Did you come from the market or the heavenly place? Oh, yeah. God must Mario J. McNulty, who mixed Lost and Found, explains that on the final track, which is a cover of a Jimmy Webb song called What Does a Woman See in a Man, he had to remove these digital artifacts. These are warbly bits left after Nilsson's vocal had been extracted from the original source using a piece of software called Audionamics, and he had to go through it word by word. This project was probably the most challenging album that I had ever had to mix. And it was because of all these various formats and and trying to get things sounding the way you want them to sound and in taking that time. In that song in particular, yeah, sometimes you really needed to go word by word because there's also printed reverb on the vocal already. So there may be words where I'm adding extra reverb or I'm actually using certain plugins to make that word drier. It's also a pretty minimal song is basically piano and strings with Harry's vocal. So the artifacts will stick out even more. So that was just a process of working on it for quite a bit of time, trying to tweak and tweak and tweak so that some of this stuff was less and less noticeable while trying to maintain a a singer. And not only a singer, but Harry. So when you hear Lost and Found in its entirety, you're not going to hear all the digital wizardry that went into making it. You'll hear something pretty remarkable. A new album made by an older Harry Nilsson, calling out across the years backwards and forwards. Sometimes you'll hear Harry summoning the gifts, those melodies, that whistle, those vocals that defined his work in the late 60s and early 70s. But you'll also hear how things have changed. His voice isn't the same. As lots of people have pointed out over the years, it never truly was after he damaged his vocal cords in 1974, recording a really great album called Pussycats with John Lennon. But there's something to hearing an older Harry Nilsson find new ways to use his voice to keep going. Some people was talking about how he had lost his voice and so forth. I think you'll continue to find his voice as much as Bob Dylan or certainly Neil Young, Lord Salus. That's Van Dyke Parks, the composer and arranger known for albums like Song Cycle and also the lyricist for the unfinished Beach Boys album Smile. He was a longtime friend and key collaborator of Harry's. He always was finding his voice and he found out how to use it wisely with great clarity and still the power to communicate what we should be happy with is what is revealed in this record that's how much it means to me i just love it and i had no expectation of loving this record in harry's absence it simply accentuates the fact that he was one of the great recording artists of our lives while always bringing some purpose a higher order into his life to serve others to be part of a community and to spread joy and do good and and always 
able in some way, even in the face of an imploded music industry, to come out with what should be taken as one of the great Nelson records and do it all without a net. I'm very grateful for Harry Nelson. Guiding it all was producer Mark Hudson, who, along with Harry's estate, had been the keeper of the tapes and who wanted to bring the music to life the way Harry had intended. I waited 25 years to make this album and constantly, always in my heart, constantly, always with me, constantly still playing it, still mapping out the notes that I would take, what I wanted it to be. Mark Hudson and Harry Nilsson first met in 1969 when Hudson and his brothers... Then they were known as the New Yorkers, but they're famous to 70s kids who grew up watching Saturday morning TV as the Hudson Brothers. They covered a song of Nilsson's, I Guess the Lord Must Be in New York City. I guess the Lord must be in New York City. People were pitching us songs, and we heard Harry's demo, and just as soon as we heard it, we went, okay, let's do this one. Because he still had all that... All that great hairy vocal stuff. So we cut it, and then they set up a meeting for us to go to RCA. Because in the old days, it would be like the Brill Building. You'd walk into a place, and you just would hear music. And in that room, you know, Gamble and Huff, and in this room. So songwriters were everywhere. And we went to RCA, and Harry had his little office with a Wurlitzer, chain smoking. And there he was, Harry Nielsen. And he looked at us, he goes... Hey, guys, thanks for doing my song. You know, they wouldn't have it for that movie because it was for Midnight Cowboy. And they turned it down. But they loved his voice so much that they asked him to sing Everybody's Talking. And we just hit it off like, boom. Just like that. He was funny. He was engaging. He was angry. He was everything that we were. What did you see when you were in the room with him? We started telling jokes. Mm. You know, there he was, and and he'd take a puff from a cigarette and goes... Yeah, you guys hear about the cross-eyed teacher that got fired? No, she couldn't control her pupils. Remember, it was three brothers, 17 months apart in age, and we were street guys, so we knew how to throw some crap back. So there might have been 45 minutes of just back and forth. He goes, you know, you guys are great. I hope this works out for you. In fact, I hope it works out for me. I want a bigger office. That wasn't the song that got Nelson a bigger office, but he and Hudson became friends, good friends. In the 70s, they were both part of a hard partying crew known as the Hollywood Vampires who convened at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Alice Cooper, Keith Moon, Ringo Starr were all vampires, and to become one, you had to outdrink them, which is really saying something. To send the bottle. From 1986 to 1994, Hudson tried to coax out of Harry what once upon a time no one could stop. Music. In the 1960s and 70s, Harry Nilsson was an almost supernaturally gifted writer and singer. One day, he was making a phone call and he got a busy signal. That beep, 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 the sound of a connection blocked, became a keyboard loop in his head. And the keyboard loop became a song about loneliness called One. Three Dog Night took it to number five on the Billboard Hot 100. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. 
Here's how Harry became a star in four years. In 1968, the Beatles were asked who their favorite singer was, and they said Nelson. And then they were asked what their favorite group was. And again, they said Nelson. It might have been an in-joke about his cover of the Beatles' You Can't Do That on his first RCA album, Pandemonium Shadow Show, which rolls bits of 14 Beatles songs, or 22 Beatles songs, depending on who's doing the counting, into 2 minutes and 18 seconds. It's honestly one of the greatest things ever recorded. You can hear that song on the companion playlist to this show. It's linked in our show notes. Anyway, a star in four years. In 1969, his cover of Fred Neal's Everybody's Talking appears on the soundtrack to Midnight Cowboy. A year after that, in 1970, that recording wins Harry a Grammy for Best Contemporary Vocal Performance Male, and then a year after that, he releases Nilsson Schmilson. The album goes to number three, and his cover of Bad Fingers Without You becomes a number one hit, and that wins him his second Grammy. This thumbnail history leaves out a lot because this was a period absolutely packed with creativity. In 1969, he does the theme song to an ABC sitcom, The Courtship of Eddie's Father. He also records his third RCA album. He also begins putting together the story for an animated children's film he'd conceived while on acid called The Point. This is a really crucial period in which Harry bridges the highly arranged studio pop psychedelia of the 1960s with the intimacy of the singer-songwriter 70s. Look at him on the cover of Nielsen Schmilson. It's a black and white photo of him in the kitchen. He's in a bathrobe. He looks like he really needs a cup of coffee. Bad. He's an average guy. He's not a star. He's utterly ordinary. The first song, Gotta Get Up, used as the theme for the recent Netflix series, Russian Doll. It's all about having to get home because tomorrow is a big day. The feelings, the melodies, they go from the bottom to the top and back again. And the clearest example of this was also the album's biggest hit, Without You. It's a foundational power ballad where Harry jumps into his highest register on the chorus, hitting these utterly impossible high notes in order to demonstrate just how utterly impossible it is to live if living is without you. Harry may not have looked like a rock star on the cover of Nielsen Schmilson, but after its success, he definitely lived like one. By the time he recorded the follow-up, Son of Schmilson, he was drinking a bottle of brandy a day, and he went full tilt with booze and drugs for a long, long time. Here's how his friend Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees put it. It was one of those things where he just went like 500 miles an hour until he stopped, (laughs) you know? Whereas most people just kind of cruise and speed up and slow down and speed up, and then you kind of peter off and eventually you park. (laughs) But he was just... (laughs) There was more than one crash. In April of 91, he found out that his financial manager had drained all of his money. In February of 93, he had a massive heart attack, although he told Mickey Dolenz that he'd had hangovers that were worse. All to say that there was a lot for Rescue Boy to take care of. Harry had stopped recording in 1980, after the death of John Lennon, who was a close friend. But he hadn't really stopped writing songs. He'd capture ideas on cassettes, and sometime in 1986, Mark Hudson, 
living in his studio while he himself went through a divorce, so was also in need of a visit from Rescue Boy, convinced him to make a demo of one of those songs. And those times in the 80s, I said to him, let's write something. Come on, let's go. And the first song that we did was a song, Try. Harry and I sang all the background together. And I heard in his voice that there was a twinge of hunger. That was the beginning of me going, great. And then I would suck him in again and he'd come to my studio. And it might have been the next year, nine months later. And we were talking about the industry. And I went, Harry, look, at you know, I'm trying to get any gig that I can. This is like not easy. And he goes, yeah, it's like, you know, lost and found. And we, we got to find it again. And he was talking about the, the nature of the, of the industry, saying one for the government. One, and he starts to say all this stuff that he was talking about musically, but sounded more politically. And then what his whole thing was lost and found by each other. What a miracle. And he goes, that's the title of the album. I said, oh, so you're coming out of retirement. And he goes, yeah, I think I can do it. It's always been said that Harry had another title in mind for his comeback. Papa's got a brown new robe, a play on James Brown's Papa's got a brand new bag. He was wearing a robe on the cover of Nielsen Schmilson. Now he's back with a brown new robe. But Lost and Found? This was a very clear concept to Harry. Lost and Found, I think, was him talking about himself. Lost and found. And I think the lost part is what happened after John's death. And then that time being found was him getting back up on the horse and riding it one more time. The original recording of Lost and Found was in Hudson's studio with him, Harry, and a guitar player and longtime friend of Hudson's, Steve Dudas. Dudas goes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Then all of a sudden, it'd be like, one for the government, don't do the pay. And then you could see Harry go, yeah. He goes, and then we'll do like a middle eight that's just like Nana's and Beach Boy. That then there is. Na, 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 na. This whole sort of thing that we sang multiple tracks of on my eight track Tascam cassette player. There's no drummer, just a drum machine that Hudson says sounded like Super Mario Brothers. So this past February, Hudson reached out to Jim Keltner, who played on Nilsson Schmilson and recorded frequently with Harry. Keltner was immediately on board, and he had a suggestion for a bass player. He goes, how do you feel about having Harry's son play bass? And I didn't know what to say, because I knew Kifo, but when he was in a diaper. And I go, well, can he play? And he goes... Well, yeah, he kind of kind of plays jazz stuff, but he, yeah, he can play. He said, but can he play like what we need it to be, which is crazy men yelling in a room at each other? And he goes, I don't know. And then like you know, divine intervention as I look up, Harry, should I do this? And then the answer was, yeah. And I called up Kifo and I said, it would be such an honor for you to play on your father's final album. I was at work and I got a call from Mark and uh, he was just like, hey, Kifo Nilsson, right? And he, he, we hadn't, I'd never spoken to him before, at least not as an adult, maybe as a child, but uh, maybe he'd been around before when I was younger, I'm sure. But I'd never really spoken to him before. I didn't really know him personally or anything. And he, so he was kind of like an introductory call. 
And then when he showed up, he looked exactly... I mean, there were moments of this record that weren't good for me because I felt Harry so much around it that I found myself talking to him and seeing his son look just like him. And it was like overwhelming. And then Keltner put his hand on my shoulder and said, don't worry, Marky, I felt the same way. Feeling Harry in the room? That happened more than once throughout this process. There were several moments when we would all be sitting in the control room and it's on and we're just, we just stop and take a breath and go, you know, we're listening to Harry Nilsson right now. And it's new, effectively new Harry Nilsson. Like, this is material that didn't get released. This is, and those moments, you know, they're, they're, they're special. There's a lot going on in the song Lost and Found. Harry's talking about the government, about a woman so beautiful she seems to have dropped from heaven's gate about an old man thinking about his lifespan, about the miracle that happens when lost people find each other, and something else. You notice in the middle, there's like sort of a psychedelic breakdown. Harry yells out, Rescue Boy. Rescue Boy! And it starts over again, referring to the song that we were going to write the next year. Actually, it was more like six years later. But it shows just how focused Harry was on a set of concepts he was interested in exploring. He invented Rescue Boy a lot earlier than January 1994, a few days before his death. And maybe it's a shame that the superhero couldn't show up sooner to save the day. But it's a miracle he's with us now. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Final Sessions. Next time, we'll take a look at Harry's relationship to the Beatles, how their music inspired him and haunted him throughout his career, how their friendships defined his life, and how the loss of John Lennon stopped him cold. Final Sessions, Harry Nilsson's Lost and Found, was written and narrated by me, Joe Levy. Our executive producers are Brian Jones for Bang Music and Audio Post and Sandy Smolens for Audiation. The show was recorded and mixed by Nick Cipriano and Paul Vito Lynch, with additional recording and editing by Sandy Smolens. If you're interested in Harry, you'll want to check out the documentary Who is Harry Nilsson and Why is Everybody Talking About Him? I also drew on the biography Nilsson, The Life of a Singer-Songwriter by Alan Shipton. Final Sessions is a production of Warner Chapel Music and Warner Music Group. Special thanks to Lee Blackman, Brad Rosenberger, and Ashley Winton, without whom this podcast and this album wouldn't exist. To go in-depth on the songs we talked about in this episode, you'll want to listen to our companion playlist, which is linked in our show notes. Be sure to check out Harry Nilsson's final album, Lost and Found, on Omnivore Recordings when it's released November 22nd. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.